This is mission.org. This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. Now we're at this place where there's less and less data available. The next big trend is AI's role in making the most of less data. Rather than rooting out the signals in too much data, the future of how AI is going to be applied in advertising, I think, is all about doing more with less data. How is advertising changing as privacy restrictions evolve? With a background in physics and almost 10 years in the data science field, Melinda Hahn-Williams, the chief data scientist at Distillery, shares her experience with how data collection has evolved with tighter customer privacy. Listen to the episode to hear her vision for how AI marketing is making more out of less data. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. I've got some questions before, you know, I dive into any of that. I always just like to start with what are you most excited to talk about? The most exciting thing to me right now is is AI and kind of the intersection of where AI as a field has has been growing and where it is today with where we're using in a distillery, like what's been happening with advertising and the advertising ecosystem, where those two things come together. Okay, perfect. What are you betting on when it comes to the future? Are there trends, technology, strategy, like as you kind of look to the future with what you know and your perspective? Like, what are you betting on for the future? At a high level, and when I think about it in the context of AI and and machine learning and data science, it's gone through this arc where there was a period of time, you know, 10, 15 years ago, where it was all about big data and people use terms like data mining. And it was all about how to extract the nuggets in that big data that was just like more data than anyone could handle. And that was kind of like how we thought about using AI and machine learning. Now we've moved towards a place where data is honestly less available. And in marketing and advertising, there's, you know, all these privacy trends, regulation, changes in browsers, stuff like that. Data is becoming less and less available. It's likely that trend will continue. And so we'll have less and less sort of personal level data and access to super granular data that we've had in the past. Now we're at this place where there's less and less data available. I think the next big trend is AI's role in making the most of less data 
rather than finding, you know, rooting out the signals in too much data, the future of, of how AI is going to be applied in advertising, I think, is all about doing more with less data. Cool. And you've been there, Melinda, almost 10 years from what I have seen on LinkedIn. Is that accurate? <laughs> Yes, yes, okay. when you say it that way. I, nine years, you know, if I'm counting, but okay. it's true, almost, almost 10 years. Yeah. It's, it's a lot in tech, but yeah. And it is. I mean, as you know, it's like tech is like dog years, right? Like a year in tech is probably like five years anywhere else. So to be in data and like be focused on data and, you know, for almost a decade now, seeing this trend of, as just as you mentioned, like how it used to be viewed and how it's being viewed now because less and less of it's available. How do brands kind of maximize that? So as you kind of think about your almost decade in this space, I'm curious about what even led you to this intersection to begin with? Like, where did it start? Where was the spark for you? Because obviously you grabbed onto something that has kept your full interest for, for almost a decade now, and it's been an interesting role to be in. But what's the background there and your journey to even working in data science? I started out, actually started out in physics. Okay. Did a PhD in physics. I was studying like low dimensional electronics, stuff that had nothing to do with data science and, and didn't use machine learning. At some point I stumbled across a machine learning application and it was just totally blown away by, by how much you could do and, and how widely applicable it was. At the point when I started in, in data science and in advertising, which was at the same time, we were kind of at this moment where I was struck by how there was all these tools on the shelf that were just starting to be applied in industry. And so there were so many opportunities, so much greenfield really to develop new applications using all of these tools that were, that were on the shelf. You called out how long I've, I've been in the same role that trend has just kind of accelerated because during that time, the last nine years, AI and machine learning have, have taken off in a whole new way. I mean, this last decade has been like an amazing era for AI and machine learning. So much has happened. And so now we're in a position where even more cooler, crazier, more powerful techniques are sitting there on the shelf and waiting to be applied to now more challenging problems. So that, that dynamic, I think, has just continued and accelerated the, the whole time I've been doing it. Is there a through line of connection between, you know, your work as a physicist informing your current role? Do you draw from that experience at all? If so, how? What does that look like these days? Yeah, I, I draw from it, not directly. There, there, there aren't like obvious, I don't use physics in my, you know, life as a data scientist. I think that the training I got in that world was really valuable in data science because it was something I learned really deeply was to always separate in your mind the actual raw data that you measured and then the conclusions that you can draw from that data mm. and to keep a very like clear delineation between that. That's been, I think, kind of like a fundamental thing, but I think it, it's it's a way of informing your thinking that that has continued to be valuable as a data scientist. Now, something that I, I noticed, there was an article that was titled how to move from math major to data scientist. And and you were you know, stressing the importance of you know, learning the fundamentals of machine learning through actually through books rather than websites like Stack Overflow and Medium. Can you elaborate on that? This has been a really interesting trend because there is so much good stuff on blogs and Stack Overflow and Medium and that kind of stuff. There's a lot, a lot you can learn and a lot of the newer techniques aren't in textbooks yet. And so like it, it sort of makes sense that you learn about them. You know, either you're reading them in academic papers or you're seeing them in, in blog posts like this. You know, that stuff is valuable and that stuff has its place. But it's just important, you know, especially for someone who's really trying to make that transition from from math or science into data science. It's important to not 
forget the fundamentals. Like uh, once you have a good surface level understanding of something, you can add all that other stuff in. Um, and there's a there's a temptation to skip that stuff because it seems like it's all it's all accessible and you can just jump in and start doing it without really having a deep understanding of it. But over the long run, it makes it such a huge difference for you know what you can produce and then more importantly, kind of what you can come up with next, the new ideas you can generate yourself if you really have that that deeper sort of textbook level understanding, even if the textbooks don't contain the newest, hottest techniques, but like that, the, the basics are super important. I also noticed, uh, Melinda, that you got an award uh, recently in 2022. You were awarded uh, one of the top women in media and ad tech awards, which congratulations for that. That's pretty epic. Thank you. What does, like, what does an honor like that mean like to you? What does that mean to you? Do you have any advice that you'd like to share with others and maybe others who just might be starting out on this path? Yeah, I, and I think it's, it's, it's definitely a cool honor to, to get an award like that. My advice for anyone starting out in tech would just be to, to always be aware of, of what you're learning, like what you're learning now, what you could be learning, where you want to focus your learning, and, and be aware that that covers now not just textbook stuff, but also stuff about like, you know, how to get things done or what's, what's seen as successful, what helps your clients or what helps your team or, you know, all kind of aspects of that, like that as you're going through your job to understand what it is you're learning and then sort of choose where you want to be learning next. And if you find that there's been a period of time when you haven't been learning, it's time to reevaluate what's going on and maybe think about figuring out how to, how to accelerate your learning too. And I think that really, you know, it's, it's really important at the beginning when you're just stepping into these things, but it's, it's important, I think, at any stage of a career, really. So you talked a little bit earlier about kind of this intersection of AI like as a field. You know, and this understanding that there's a lot, certainly a lot happening. Like we talk a lot about AI and machine learning with certain executives that come on the show. Of course, it's been a topic that's been pretty, pretty hot in the past couple of years. And now as we're, you know, shifting into this really interesting world where, as you said earlier, like the kind of data that we used to access is, is not as available. We have to shift our strategies and there's this real trend of data being less available. Talk about this intersection, talk about this idea of the data being less available, and then talk about what you're doing to, you know, develop a strategy to, you know, to combat that. There's a lot of different forces happening at once towards this movement of data being less available. Part of the core of it, or maybe going together with all the others, like consumer awareness is one part of it, that people are becoming more aware of how their data is being gathered and used and becoming more uncomfortable with it, looking for more ways to, to not participate in that. At the same time, moving along with that and also probably driving awareness are things like privacy legislation, which you know is pretty advanced in Europe and is you know in different legislations in the US, we're seeing like more and more progression of privacy legislation. And then of course, there's things that are actually like in the hardware and the software that we're using, like Chrome's plans to to retire third-party cookies, and Apple in iOS has made the the mobile ID on iOS, the IDFA, less available. So there's kind of all it's like this big train of all of these different forces that are that are kind of moving in one direction. And so, yeah, I think regardless of the outcome of any individual one of those pieces, it's pretty clear that that times are changing, expectations are changing, and any marketer who's trying to to reach their customers or their future customers has to recognize that um, you know some of them are going to continue to be comfortable with using a certain amount of data, but a significant proportion of, of any brand's customers aren't comfortable with that. And so 
you know, those brands are starting to think about, regardless of exactly the outcome of each of these things, how do I think about reaching my customers and future customers in a way that they're actually comfortable with? What's been the reaction from, you know, some of your clients to third-party cookies being phased out? It's been quite a journey. So it's been now two and a half years since Google first announced that they were going to retire third-party cookies. And so we've, we've seen different reactions at different times. We've seen moments of like panic and scrambling and looking for guidance, actively looking for guidance or in kind of like wait and see mode to see what's going to happen. I think now we're at a stage where the industry is kind of recognizing whatever happens with Google in particular, this is, this is something that's, that's coming for us. It is interesting, though, because if you listen to Google's current timeline, so they, they announced in early 2020 that they were going to retire cookies and since then have postponed the deadline twice. Initially, they said it was going to be at the beginning of 2022. Now it's sometime in 2024. So it's going to have been a long time before it actually happens. So mm. there's an interesting, interesting dynamic where advertisers are in this position where they're trying to sort of scramble and prepare for this future change, but they also have to deal with, with what's happening today. So I think that's been a that's been a, a big dynamic for a lot of them. The other thing that I should mention that I think is has been a really interesting change. I mean, all these privacy changes are happening with legislation and you know Apple and all these different things. For some reason, the one that really inspired people the most and and really kicked off the most movement that that I've seen has been the Google announcement because it, it sounded like such a big deal and so many people reacted to it. It really spurred a lot of innovation and development in the space. So now there are all these new cool solutions out there that with more time to decide how to implement them, I think advertisers are kind of in a position where the control is in their hands now to decide, well, I know that my hand isn't going to be forced immediately anymore, but I have the opportunity to understand which of these cool solutions are helpful for me now and helpful for my business now, or, or give me the opportunity to connect with my customers in a way that I want to as a brand. So it's like it's like this interesting like intersection of like balancing like what's coming with what's happening right now, right? And I'm curious like how the team you know at Distillery using AI to prepare or even to address the loss of cookies. Like what's happening there in this interesting balance? At Distillery, we have a solution that's kind of specifically built around around the loss of cookies. We actually started developing it the year before Google announced that they were going to um, get rid of cookies. We were lucky on that one. Good timing. Yeah. Yeah. And and I should say, just, just for context, so our background at Distillery is all about targeting users. And so it's very reliant on third-party cookies, and it's all about collecting that profile of historical behaviors and then predicting who you want to reach based on stuff you know about that user. So as we think about what we're going to do without third-party cookies, there we've taken like a completely different approach. So there we have a solution for targeting advertising to people without any kind of ID, without knowing anything about the user, without even trying to figure out anything about the user. So totally based on on that moment where, when they're going to see the ad, like that inventory moment and what it means about whether or not they should see the ad. And is that the ID-free custom AI offering? Is that what that is? That's the ID-free? Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's ID-free custom AI. Yeah. What's been the feedback from marketers about that, about the ID-free custom AI offering? The consistent thing that we've heard is that, is that it's really unique. It takes some explaining, especially like, no, it really is ID-free. Like we'll get, go through the whole explanation of, of how it works and they'll say, okay, so what's your new identifier? No, no, like this is really kind of a different way of thinking where the point is to not try and understand who the person is, but just try and understand like behaviorally the moment that they're, that they're in 
how valuable is that moment likely to be to your brand? So that's been one one piece of feedback we've gotten. The other part that I think is has been more surprising for me is that, you know, I said initially we came up with this as a way to do post-cookie targeting and to do targeting without cookies. But something that we're finding is that for a lot of brands, it's really useful now for, for when cookies are still around, both just as another tactic to reach, you know, more of the best people with, with good performance and reach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then something that, that um, we're realizing more and more is that there's, there's like specific areas where even though cookies are still available and the legislation may not be here yet, their privacy is really necessary now. So for instance, a lot of our clients, you know, we didn't, we weren't, didn't really have a presence in Europe before, but since we've been talking about ID free, a lot of our big clients have been saying, hey, my brands in Europe could really use this to deal with GDPR. The other thing we've been hearing is from the healthcare industry. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, of course, you don't, you, can't, you don't want to use personal information to target things around sensitive health conditions. But for something where it doesn't actually use any information about the person, it's, it's like a much more privacy sensitive way to do that. Yeah, I saw something about the custom patient targeting. And I'm just curious how that, you know, how is that tech being used in, in the healthcare field? That's something where we're really focusing on ways to reach patients or prospective patients for sensitive healthcare condition targeting, where it's like not appropriate to know that personal information about the, about the person. But because the ID-free approach is more of a behavioral inventory approach, like it's focused just on the, that moment and just on the inventory where the impression is going to be shown, we're able to support a really custom level of patient targeting without any personal information about the user. Are there other industries that you're seeing opportunities as well beyond the healthcare industry? If so, what are some of those other industries that are interesting or that maybe you're seeing some inroads in using the tech there? Yeah, the other places where we've been seeing a lot of interest is places that maybe don't have a particular need for privacy-sensitive targeting beyond just you know understanding of their customers. But ID-free custom AI just offers them another way to reach their customers with high performance. So we've been seeing a lot of a lot of success in retail, um, a surprising amount of success in, in QSR, quick serve restaurants, and, and getting people into restaurants. Finance, we've seen some, some success there. Across a lot of industries, we've been seeing successful campaigns and, and a lot of attention on this. If you reflect on, you know, again, like your, your time there, what's been one of your, you know, favorite if it campaigns or favorite, you know, projects that you've worked on in the past, you know, almost 10 years, t- take us through some of that. Maybe it was a strategy or a big risk or a big bet that you took. Does anything stick out of like just a favorite, yeah, favorite approach, favorite campaign, something you were really highly involved in and, and maybe some lessons learned in that? Something really interesting that, that we worked on was really, in a way, the precursor to the, the ID-free custom AI that we're doing today. And this started... Back in 2017, someone on, on the data science team, Amelia White, was just kind of like looking at the data that we have and looking at the techniques on the shelf. You know, this is the same kind of thing I've, I've been talking about where there's all these cool techniques on the shelf and there's, we're just waiting for places to apply them. She figured out a way to take digital behavioral journeys that we could see in our data and run them through this, this neural network, this, this machine learning algorithm and come up with a map of every single website and how every website related to every other website. It didn't involve information about the individual people, but it was just explained for every single website, like exactly what it relates to, 
um, how it relates to every other website. So when she first did this, we didn't know exactly what it would be for. Like we knew it was big and we knew it was useful. We've actually used it for a bunch of different things. We've used it as a way to, to cluster websites. We've used it as a way to inform like an unsupervised clustering of users to help marketers find kind of subpopulations of their users that we didn't know, they didn't know about. We used it as a way to improve our, our normal user-based targeting methods. Was it like an, an algorithm that she developed? It was so cool. She came up with a way to take all of this data and it was like billions of events worth of data, just like wow. a flow of so many data points. The surprising thing about it was it was just people's random user histories. So if you looked at any individual user history, it didn't necessarily seem like there was obviously that much information in it. Okay. When you put just millions of these into this machine and had this algorithm extract the patterns and how people visit one set websites and how, how people go from one website to the next website and what the sort of pairs of website are that, that people visit in sequence, it found all of these patterns that, you know, we never would have known about otherwise. You know, we've all just kind of gotten lost exploring this thing, wow. just looking at, oh, yeah, this is kind of like that. And, oh, wow, this thing noticed that, like, not only is travel all related, but there's, like, all these different types of travel, and it understands the difference between that. And just, like, the level of detail that it, it understood all these websites with blew us all completely away. And we spent so much time even thinking, like, what is it? We stared at it for a long time before we were like, oh, it's a map. This is what a map is for. Like, it wow. provides you context. It tells you how things relate to each other. This is a map of the internet. And so we used it for a bunch of things for years. And then it, it wasn't until 2019, we decided we'd better see what kind of targeting we could do if we didn't have cookies, just in case that happened. Okay. Amelia like used this map for that and said, hey, we can actually do a really good job targeting people without knowing anything about them because we know so much about every website through this map. Wow. So no big deal. I mean, you know, we just we just built a map of the internet, you know, and uh, figured, you know, that's pretty amazing to tie in all that together, and then yeah, leveraging that to to tell a story, right, and see like where this thing's heading, where where behavior is heading. That's phenomenal. Shout out to Amelia and the squad there. What are some of the, like the most important like data and metrics that you're looking at in your role? Like, what are you have you reprioritized them in the the way this whole industry is changing? Are there still kind of some core things? Like, what are you looking at on a you know monthly basis, daily, weekly basis? What are some of the most important data points that you care about? And what are those? Yeah. What are some of those things that they're telling you right now? Yeah, my role is is kind of unique, um, and I'm actually I feel I feel lucky that I work at a company that's able to have a role like this, like that we have we have a chief data scientist and we have this much kind of attention and resources dedicated towards data science. So something that that I get to do in my role and with my team is work on things that aren't going to be useful tomorrow. Like work on things that aren't, aren't immediately applicable to a, to a product that we're releasing right now. And we can kind of, we're able to look a kind of a few steps ahead and see what the problems out there that we see that are coming, what the tech is that's available and the, the machine learning techniques that might be useful. That's a really lucky place to be. And I think that that's, that's what's allowed us to do things like develop a map of the internet without knowing exactly where we wanted that map to take us. And then, you know, it happens that years later, we end up with this really useful application for it. That's cool. So you're getting to straddle what's happening right now and also thinking about what's happening in the future and what's coming. And I'm reminded of a, a conversation I had with Mark Papermaster. He's the CTO of AMD. 
And he talked about how they have dedicated people on teams that are only in the future. They're just working in the future. They're already working on what's coming five years down the road, six, seven years down the road. And, and the creativity that that breeds is just phenomenal when you, when you can have a group of people focused on the future, right? And so what an interesting kind of jump rope you get to play in it because you also have to serve existing clients and you have to build trust with existing stakeholders and executives. And you also really got to be paying attention to what's coming. And and not only that, the timing of it's got to be important. And so what's that balance like? Like, what's that like playing in that in that space? Is it a high pressure, high tense? Is it, is, it, is it really tense? Or do you love kind of the double dutch of like, what's happening now versus, hey, we're also in the future creating what's happening? Yeah, it's super interesting, but the double dutch is exactly right. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it actually, it, it fits together. Like you have to be doing both. It's mm-hmm. just part of the way we understand what's coming next and what we need to solve next is to listen to what clients are saying now. And that's, mm-hmm. it's, I feel like that's a, that's a super important part of my role, which is to, to listen to not just what clients are asking for, but why they're asking for that and try and really understand what's going on in their world um, at a level that's going to let us kind of get ahead of their next problems and, and help them solve those problems with, with really cool tech. Mm. So what would you share with other chief marketing officers? You know, a lot of our audience on this show is Fortune 1000, you know, CMOs and marketing leaders. Given that you're most definitely entrenched in the just data game and you've been in the game a long time, you know, let's say you have an opportunity to share a message, you know, to CMOs out there. Like what would you share about yeah, you know, what you're learning in the space, what you're seeing in the space? Because again, we have a lot of executives that will will listen and I'm sure they'll be attentive to what you have to share. What would you share with, with other CMOs about what you're noticing in this in this environment, in this space that you're in? I think in the, the place where we are now in this space, it's important to, to think about what data you have access to and what data others have access to, honestly, and how you're using that data. Something I hear about a lot, a, a big response that a lot of companies had to kind of the signal deprecation that's, that's happening across the board is, okay, so I need more first-party data. So people are just scrambling, doing everything they can to get as much first-party data. I've noticed lately, anytime I want to do anything, someone wants me to like sign up for an app and share everything about myself to do to get accomplish mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants that first-party data. That's fine. That's valuable. Like, I think that definitely should be a part of anyone's approach. What people should be thinking is not just what data can I get my hands on, but how am I then going to make the most use of that first-party data? Because you can definitely imagine, great, I have all these email addresses, so now I'm going to email people. Like, what, what else are you going to do with that data? How can you take whatever data you have and really leverage it to get the most use out of it? I think that's where the AI comes in, is to take a small amount of information and tie it to other small amounts of information and get the, the most use you can out of it. So let's talk about the future of AI in marketing, Melinda. Are there any new developments on the horizon from Distillery that you'd like to share? It's all about doing more with less data. And that's gonna that's gonna be kind of the trend throughout, whether it's reaching people without identifiers. We also do have a business in user-based targeting. And so, you know, we're gonna be applying that thinking to our user-based business as well. Wherever we're going, the underlying score is going to, the underlying theme is all going to be about doing more with less data. Okay. And how do you think AI and machine learning are going to evolve over the next five to 10 years? There are so many. So AI and machine learning has evolved so much over the past five to 10 years, 10 years especially. Now I think we're really at a place where the next five to 10 years of kind of industry applications of, of 
or advertising or marketing applications are all going to be about finding ways to take all of these approaches that now exist and are on the shelf and finding new ways to apply them. And I mean, I'm sure AI will continue to, to evolve beyond where it is today in the next five to 10 years. But I think we're going to have our hands pretty full already just taking the, the tools we have available so far. There was an article that Forbes wrote, uh, it's time for people facing AI. And the, the author writes, data-driven selling has the potential to create enormous firm value by improving the effectiveness and value that revenue streams deliver, particularly in complex, strategic, and highly considered purchases where consultative, creative, and value-based selling is involved. The question is, do you agree that not enough attention has been placed in the past on AI improving the seller experience? So I'll admit I, I don't know much about AI-based selling tools in particular. I do think that the interface between AI and humans is super interesting and super important to think about as you're building AI tools. How are humans going to use them? How, like what's the, the way for that tech to kind of be expressed in the world tends to be through hum humans decide to use it and then humans like make use of what came out of it. And so I think that that's, that's going to be an area of increasing focus as we get more advanced AI making its way into more tech and more devices. Thinking about how it interacts with humans is, is increasingly important. Thank you so much for, for being on Marketing Trends. This was an amazing conversation because look, getting insights into the world that you're in every single day is extremely valuable to see where this world's heading, but also where we're at right now. So congratulations on all the success at Distillery. Um, shout out to the whole team there, but really most importantly, thanks for making time to be on Marketing Trends. This was a really cool conversation. Thanks, Melinda. Thank you, this was fun. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.